Indeed, O God, you are the hope of the world, having provided a Savior for sinners such as I. We are uh, a people that live in a culture that seems to have lost hope. It certainly has lost direction. And hopeless people do hopeless things. They turn their backs on families. They walk away from children. They steal from their families. They steal from their employers. They, they commit acts of indecency and unfaithfulness. Father, not so much because we're so wicked, but because the culture has lost hope. And hopeless people do hopeless things. And so we pray, O oh God, that you will use Gracie Van to communicate hope to people who would rather take a feel-good drug than face reality. Help us to communicate hope to a people who would rather stare at some kind of illicit image on a computer screen than properly and healthily relate to a member of the opposite sex. Oh God, might the gospel that has swept up us sweep up others. And use us, O oh God, at the, at the vanguard of that, of that attack. Might we be a people trained to share, but eager to share as well. Because what we have is the hope of the world. There are no other words of life. Only the ones that we possess. And we possess them not because we're better or smarter or cuter or more capable. We possess them because you have, by grace, found us out. You have chased us across the labyrinthine heavens, tracked us down, and brought us to yourself. And oh God, how grateful we are. That in the midst of all of our inconsistencies and all of our mixed motives and all of our distractions, there is underneath it all the hope of the world. Jesus Christ in all of his beauty. Now, Father, take our monies. We got lots of them. We got lots of money, Lord. And we use it in all kinds of pointless ways. But take this money, O oh God, and use it to accomplish something everlasting. Might every dime of this be used to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Let me just read you two verses out of 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9. Uh, may I say to you, first of all, I'm just reading, I'm trying to find the briefest portion here. But uh, much of chapter 7 is addressed to this subject that I'm about to introduce to you right here in verses 8 and 9. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. As I said, ladies and gentlemen, this, that subject that I just introduced you to is um, carried on with more detail, beginning in verse 25 to the end of the chapter. But I chose just to read you a couple of verses. You know, I don't know how many um, singles we have that attend and are a part of the Fellowship of Grace Evangelical Church. 
But I can tell you how many sermons that I have preached specifically tailored for singles over 14 and a half years of ministry here at Gracie Van. None. That's going to change today. Newsflash. Singles often get married. And um, we're in the midst of a series on the family. And it would seem to me that it would be uh, fairly wise to try and address some of those issues now. Uh, some of the issues that might crop up within the confines of marriage. That would might uh, give us a greater uh, possibility of marital success later. So uh, th- that's what I'm up to this morning. Guys, you may recall, um, I did, I, I was a minister to singles for six years before Gracie Van started, and I loved every minute of it. But, uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out fairly quickly that there is a, there's a widespread, rather deep sense of anxiety about finding a spouse. Uh, whether I'll ever find a spouse, or if I can find, I, I mean, how do I get the right spouse, etc. And, and in America today, people are getting married older and older, as you already know. And as a result, that means that they're walking off college campuses without an engagement ring or without a fiancé. So many more are walking off, whereas that used to be the place where people kind of matched up. People getting married older or walking off those campuses without a fiancé. They head into the workforce and and meet people there, but you may already know that because of um, sexual harassment suits. Dating a co-worker can be fairly tricky. And then, of course, the, the bar scene. Who would, I, I wouldn't wish that on my enemy. And, and, and I think most singles would say, tell you that. That's a horribly depressing world. So if you don't meet people at church or some kind of other voluntary organization, where do you meet a potential spouse? Well, gang... Um, You probably already know this, but uh, matchmaking has become a huge online uh, business, I I guess you'd call it. It uh, caters to a generation who shops for everything else on on the web, and so there they shop for spouses as well. Uh, you can find websites for everything, uh, up and down the spectrum, from uh, busy professionals to perhaps Christians or, or for those who, who simply want to hook up for um, fun. It's all there, folks. Um, just uh, name your poison. In the first six months of 2003, a little over two years ago, in the first six months, Americans spent $214 million dollars on internet websites designed for matchmaking. In one month, 40 million Americans visited an online date uh, website. 40 million in one month, August of 2003. That's about one-sixth of the population. And you know, a lot of that population is married. So imagine 40 million people visited online dating websites In one month. Now, guys, I'm no uh, Internet whiz, as you all know, but um, I didn't even have to be. All you got to do is sit in front of your computer and all these little things kind of pop up. And over the months, 
I have been tracing down these things that kind of popped up in terms of uh, contributing to, to, my, to my family series. And it is utterly mind-blowing the amount of and the kind of uh, advice that you can get on that thing about finding one's true love. Guys, I, 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 I couldn't resist this. I, I mean, I tracked down a lot of them. I've got some copies here for you, but I, I tracked down. But one of them, I've got to read you this. This is advice that is given to people who are looking for potential spouses. Are you, are you ready? Let me read. It's a couple of paragraphs, so stay with me. Springtime is often thought of as the season of romance. But this spring, Neptune is especially busy spreading a special brand of magic. So much so that regardless of your relationship status, you can fall in love with love itself. Neptune does a dreamy dance with Venus and Jupiter, activating your longings for ideal love. Venus is considered the planet of personal love, whereas Neptune symbolizes an ideal, a higher form of love. The key astrological event this spring is the slowly unfolding harmonious trine between illusory Neptune and the optimistic giant Jupiter. Mark your calendar and plan a romantic picnic, drive in the country, or other adventure. This influence is felt strongly around these dates. April the 2nd, April the 7th, we missed those, April the 27th, May the 17th, June the 1st, and June the 15th. There's still time. Enjoy the magic of these days, but don't succumb to the likely temptation to overindulge in one way or another. These people are serious. I mean, I wonder how many of the 40 million Americans read that gobbledygook. And, and just in case you are a bit underwhelmed, as I was, at that kind of advice being given... Um, I, I, as I found that, I found numerous lists. Um, lists seem to be the big thing. Uh, you've got uh, uh, five ways to find true love, four tips to go beyond email, eight steps to find a date, uh, ten steps to be a great girlfriend, six sure tips to score a sweetie. I don't know what that means. Uh, how to make yourself more dateable. How to plan the perfect date. On and on and on it goes. List how to do this and what to do here and how to be the perfect date and how to plan the perfect date and how to be more dateable and yada, 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 yada. And 40 million Americans visited those sites in one month. So, knowing your affinity towards lists... I want to give you a list. In terms of the spouse hunting business, I want to give you a list. In fact, I've got lists inside of lists. I've got lists galore here for you this morning, gang. Um, I've got a list of four, and then within the four, I've got some lists within those lists. So, kind of, if you like lists, I've got lists for you. But what I'm trying to do, guys, is, um, is lay before you some some genuine biblical parameters of, of spouse hunting. And I hope it will be helpful. Um, 
I, I can say this. Most of what you're going to hear from this pulpit is biblical. I'm not so sure about that Venus and Neptune stuff. So um, you can choose which advice you'd find better. Here we go. I have a list of four, and as I said, there's some list inside the list, so kind of stay with me. First of all, here's, here's number one on my list. I mean, it's an insult to your intelligence, but unfortunately, i got to say this. If you're looking for a spouse, number one rule is it's got to be a member of the opposite sex. You know, I used to didn't have to say that, but I have to say it now. You know, my dear friend, if uh, you find members of your same sex attractive... I understand. You do? You mean you've... uh... No, I don't mean that. What I mean is the fact that you and I may have inappropriate attractions does nothing but underscore the great ravages of sin in our souls. Gang, May I say, if you have find members of the same sex attractive, that your inappropriate desires for the same sex is no more sinful than my inappropriate desires for the opposite sex. They both have to be denounced. They are both off limits. They both contain a desire for forbidden fruit. So while our battles might be different... We both have to battle. We have to resist wrongful urges. And we have to say no to that which is out of bounds. And we have to repent when we sin. But may I say to you, my friend, if the church of Jesus Christ has made you feel more vile because that's your sin, then can I apologize to you? Because my sin is as vile as anybody's. But I think you understand why we got to start out like that. Folks, um, I don't care what your culture is telling you. A long-term, meaningful relationship of marriage cannot be had with a member of the same sex. But also, don't let the Christian church tell you that because that's your drift... You're more vile than us other sinners. You're not. We both got a battle. We got a a battle on our hands. And um, but uh, keep this in store. If you're looking for a spouse, you got to start with a member of the opposite sex. Number two, here's um, second on my list, and this is a text that makes. I mean, it just drives singles crazy. It 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 makes their skin crawl. It's found in Second Corinthians chapter six. And it is simply that you are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and with uncommunion has light with darkness. You know what that means? Simply that if you're a Christian single, you have no permission to date anything but, excuse me, let me back up. You have no permission to marry anything but another Christian. Okay, Jimmy, have you seen those Christians lately? They're weird. Well, that, that may be so, guys, but we have a clear... Com- I know, I know God is just out to make me miserable, isn't he? 
Do you know how much you have shrunk the potential audience, Jimmy? I didn't do it, guys. I'm saying that you have a clear command out of the scriptures God has given to you that you are not, you have no permission whatsoever to ever marry outside of the faith. Now, um, do you think he gave us that instruction because we, because he hates us or hates you? Gang, God has given all of his instructions because he knows that to, to violate them is to, is to sacrifice our own well-being. Guys, he knows that couples who have a different set of values simply can't make it. Now, couples with a different set of interests can make it, but not values. Different interests, you can make it. Different values, you can't make it. And a commitment to Jesus Christ, or the lack of same, is a value, perhaps the greatest of values. And so you got different commitments to Jesus Christ, or one has it, one doesn't. You can't make it, guys. Now, if, if, let me soften the blow just a bit. Can I go out with a non-Christian? Yes. Dating is not being bound together. But as soon as I discover that I'm in the car with a not-yet-converted person... That night should be brought to a polite, respectful, early end. Oh, Jimmy. She's so cute and I'm so tired of spending Friday nights alone. I know. But that's not enough to help me invalidate a clear piece of instruction from this book nor is it enough for you to invalidate it. But he treats me like such a lady. My dear, have you not learned that hormone-driven men will say anything? Clear instruction, my friends. You can't get around it. There's no bartering it away. It is simply this. I am, I am mandated to marry only within the faith. Here's my third instruction on my list. Date. <laughs> and you know, I, I know that there, uh, there is a certain percentage of the Christian community that doesn't agree with me. Uh, this gentleman, for instance. In fact, I don't know if you noticed the, uh, the title of my sermon, but I got my title of my sermon from this book. I mean, this, the title of this, this book is I Kiss Dating Goodbye. The title of my sermon is I Kiss Dating on the Mouth. Uh, because, folks, I, I, uh, I am opposed to what is contained in here. Not all of it. But, guys, I even understand that the author of this book has changed his tune. It, it, he, he wrote another book when he met a girl that he started dating. But, um, <laughs> in fact, the title of the book is Boy Meets Girl. But, uh, guys, the argument that is put forth in some circles in the Christian community is this. You'll never find dating mentioned in the Bible. Well, that's true. But you will also not find puberty mentioned, or teenagers mentioned, or uh, even the Trinity by that title. Or you'll never find anything instructing us to allow women to participate in the Lord's Supper. And I believe in all four of those things. Yeah, gang, um, the, the argument goes on that dating is so inappropriate because sexual sin is inevitable. Really? Inevitable? Hmm. Then tell me, who would you blame if sexual sin occurs in a dating relationship? The institution? 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm sure that's a, I mean, it is an, an enormous battle that goes on within the dating confines. But gang, you don't have to sin. The argument goes on. Um, you're, you're giving to someone other, you're giving something to someone other than your future spouse. What? Like what? If you sin sexually, yeah, you probably gave something that didn't belong to that person. But if you avoid that, tell me, what are you giving them? Don't be silly. Gang, here's my argument in favor of. Dating is the only institution that I know of that allows you an opportunity to discover. Folks, if you're going to tie the knot with somebody, I think you will probably agree that it would be good to know with whom you're tying the knot. How are you going to do that in a herd? In a mob? Dating in group or moving with groups? Guys, do you remember my famous, my one of the few... Uh, original things that I've ever done in my life, my famous definition of love, it is, uh, love is the value that I place on another individual that it makes me willing to come up with whatever sacrifice necessary to maintain the relationship. I thought of that. That's my own thing. I kind of like it. But it, but notice, love is the value. Well, how am I going to find the value of another individual if I don't spend time not one on twenty, but one on one. Dating is a privilege that needs to be worked with some, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's a privilege so that I can enter into this process of discovery. Um, secondly, in terms of my argument for dating, it allows for great on-the-job training. Folks, things like communication, you get the opportunity to practice. Some of you married couples, you don't have any good communication in your marriage? Well, tell me what happened. Did it happen in, were you communicating while you were dating? Well, you should have. And if you married a dullard that is not a communicator, then you should have been able to figure that out in the process of discovery, for heaven's sakes. Dating gives you a chance to, to work on some things like communication. How about problem solving? Uh, settling some disagreements. Compromise. Woo-hoo-hoo. Wouldn't that help a few marriages in the house? Or um, how about handling rejection? Gang, life is full of rejection. Get, get over it. You know, um, in dating, you can practice making promises and keeping them. Oh, how about that? Maybe we can learn something about faithfulness now that we could take into our marriages. And, and one of the reasons that I love dating so much, gang, is because it'll, it, it provides an opportunity for men to initiate. You know, I have a hunch. The real reason there's so little dating going on is because men are afraid of being turned down. Huh? You know, I talked to a guy, and, and some of you know this guy, and I'm telling you, he is, um, he's married now. He was a single who got married. But um, he was in the singles ministry, of which I was the head, and, and he was handsome, 
talented, uh, personable, just a winner in every way. So I was picturing the paper just about three weeks ago. Uh, he is, I'm telling you, any single woman, I mean, in fact, that single crowd, uh, and we, we had a Bible study on Tuesday nights that had 375 singles in it, and most of the females wanted to date this guy. Well, um, he told me one time that every time I pick up the phone and start punching the numbers, my hands begin to sweat. Why? Tell me, is your value determined by what you hear on the other side of the line? Is your value as a person at stake by whether or not she says yes or no? Is that the truth? Then, my friend, you've got other huge issues. You mean to tell me that your value is created by the woman saying yes or no on the other end of that phone? Do you see how wrong that is? Dial the numbers, my friends. You can take it, I promise. It'll be fine. Um... Are there, are there some downsides to dating? You bet. You bet. You know, and of course, this man suggests one of the major ones. There are some precautions that I think you should put in place. Uh, for instance, don't pray together. By the way, I think that's, that came out of here. Don't pray together. You don't need to be kneeling at uh, the couch, sharing your prayer requests and your intimate secrets. You share prayer requests like that, it develops into intimacy, and you know what happens next. Don't pray together. But secondly, if you've got to go inside, stay in the kitchen. Don't leave the kitchen. Those other rooms in the house are just way too dangerous. Stay in the kitchen and keep the lights on. And then, uh, this might sound a bit contradictory. I don't mean it to be. But gentlemen, here's what you could do. You could start and end the night with prayer. I'm not talking about exchanging prayer requests. I'm simply saying... Uh, say you're going to start with prayer and you're going to close with prayer because it makes it pretty difficult to do something that you're ashamed of when you know that you've got to pray with her at the end of the night. Start and begin with prayer. Yes, precautions are, are needed. I understand that. But guys, don't throw this baby out with the bathwater. Date. Now, so those are my first three. Remember the opposite sex. Got to be a Christian and date. Here's number four. Stay alert. For all kinds of relational red flags. Uh, don't ignore those things. You will ignore them to your shame and to your harm. You know, guys, sometimes I think the Bible is just full of dating advice. For instance, this is in Proverbs 22, 24. Um, 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. All right, that's red flag number one, folks. Temper. Are you dating somebody that uh, is kind of a got a short fuse? Well, let me tell you, sooner or later, that anger is going to be vented on you. The Bible says, don't make friendships with an angry man or an angry woman. Stay away from them. That's a red flag. If you ignore, you're going to, you're the one that's going to get burned. Number two, the Bible goes on to say in uh, chapter 27 of the book of Proverbs, uh, 27:4. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Are you dating somebody who's a jealous man, a jealous woman? Have you ever dated somebody like that? 
I mean, I, I, I would hear tales of uh, unbelievable things. They'd follow them along. Or, you know, I, they, they would time how long it takes to get from the office to your house. And, and it, you know, it took 20 minutes to get from the office. And if you were, uh, you know, 22 minutes, they wanted to know where you were for those two minutes. And, you know, guys, it's, it's not so. The Bible has warned you. Jealousy is not something that you... That's, that's another red flag number two. Number three. How does he treat his mother? Or more widely or broadly, what is his attitude to your family? Folks, um, you know that uh, when you get married, you married a family, don't you? Have you ever seen, have you ever seen um, <laughs> Everybody Loves Raymond? Have you ever watched that? Ask Deborah Barone what she thinks about marrying into that family. Well, guys, watch how he treats his mother. You can learn stuff. Here's red flag number four. Job history. I, I didn't say, what is his salary? I said, what is the job history? How many jobs has he had, has she had, over a reasonable period? Bounce from job to job, has she? Says something. Says something, you ought not ignore it. Number five, spending. How does she spend her money? Um, what kind of debt does she uh, have? Uh, I mean, how does she use a credit card? You might want to ask those things or at least be very attentive when, you're, when, when it's going on because that's going to be something that is going to let you know certain things. Number six, how does she end past relationships? You know, guys, if she threw a brick through her ex-boyfriend's windshield... You, you probably want to move on. Or at least, for heaven's sakes, don't break up with her. But, uh, but you, you need to understand or look into how she broke off previous relationships. Number seven, does she harbor grudges? Every time her ex-boyfriend's names come up, there is this rage that you see. How does she handle offense? Does she know how to forgive? Does he know how to forgive? You ignore that, my friend, and you will pay a very high duty because you ignored a red flag. Number eight, is he a control freak? You know, ladies, you're looking for a wedding ring, not handcuffs. You're trying to build a home, not a jail. Are you allowed freedom? If you're not... You ignore it to your own pain. Number nine, insecurities. You know, all of us are insecure. We're insecure in a matter of degrees, all of us. You know, it's just you know, on the spectrum, how, but there is, there is a place, a point at which you go, beyond which you go, that will make things really miserable. It, it, this person is so needy that they suck the life out of you, and it's still not enough. Gang. You've got to get your mind around all of us that our, our value is in Christ. Our worth is found there. The only way I know to get over any insecurities is to race back to that value, that truth. I am valuable because I'm a son of the living God. Uh, let, me, let me change metaphors on you. Let, let, me, let me do it like this. Maybe you can see the illustration. This church does not need me to survive. That is, if you ever thought that. It does not need me to survive. But here's the point. I don't need this church to survive either. 
My worth is not to be found in the fact that I'm a pastor of this church. And your worth is not to be found in the fact that you're related to whomever. Get beyond it. Race to Christ. Find your refuge there. If my father or mother deserts me, says David, the Lord will take me up. Yes! The Lord will take you up. And then number ten. You're not looking for perfection. You're looking for growth. You're you're looking for growing, maturation. You're looking for progress. And for heaven's sakes, don't sell yourself short just because you hadn't made it as far as you'd like to. What we're looking for is a steady progress towards improvement in all of us. In terms of Christ-likeness, in terms of professionalism, in terms of parenting. We're in a process, guys, all of us. And sometimes the process is not very pretty, is it? In all of us. But forget the, you know, I had, a, I had a man one time tell me that he couldn't date a girl because she had too much hair on her arms. <laughs> That's a little much. Did you, did, you, did you get that? We're not looking for perfection. But let me tell you, you sure ain't. You're no one mixed blessing. And neither am I. We're just looking for a commitment to progress. Now, I got one more list for you and I'm finished. It's a short one. It only has two items on it. But I want to call this the rest of the story list. Number one, the Apostle Paul was a satisfied single. Folks, I read recently a story about a missionary. Her name is Gladys Allward. And she, before she went to the mission field, was a London parlor maid, which I don't even know what that is. But um, she went to China, a war-ravaged China, and became a legend. She fell in love with a British colonel by the, by the name of Lennon, and they both wanted to get married. But she, Gladys, said no. The war's got to be fought and won first. And as a result of her saying no, they never married. Now tell me, how do you react to that? If that decision on the part of this woman, if you find that absolutely unthinkable, if you find that absolutely irrational, then I want to tell you something. You probably, you probably have an idol called marriage. Gang, what Gladys Allward did was exactly what Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians 7. It's exactly what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians 7. Go read it. It's also what Jesus Christ was teaching when he said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me daily. Because, my friends, listen to me. Happiness, your happiness, your best, is not going to be found in marriage. I promise you that. On the authority of the Word of God, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You seek that kingdom. That's where it's found. And here's the other half of the list. I know you may not feel this, but your real need is not for a spouse. Your real need is for Jesus Christ. Marriage won't save you. Christ's death and resurrection will. If you have never said, I do, 
to Jesus Christ. Do it now. Our Father, I do pray that you will use these vain babblings of mine to try and instruct folks that are very dear to me and this congregation, very dear to the family of God. And I pray that you will use it to instruct the rest of us who are married, that perhaps some of our difficulties are found in the fact that we ignored clear instructions from the Scriptures and we ignored things that were glaring weaknesses. But Father, now, grant us grace to move beyond those things. Lord, give us grace as you promise that the, that the days that were eaten by the locusts can be replaced. Oh God, replace some of the days in our marriage that the locusts ate up. Give us a new sense of hope, a new sense of direction as married people as we seek to become all that you would have us be. For your kingdom's sake, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.